0: And good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. We're in the season of Lent, and of course, one of the uh, practices associated with Lent is the practice of uh, fasting. And uh, my guest, Dr. Jay Richards, has just written uh, a book which is getting wonderful reviews and enthusiasm uh, building around. In fact, in the last week, I've had three different people uh, talk to me about it. Uh, Jay has been with us before on a variety of topics. Uh, he's the author of many books. Um, most recently, it's East. Excuse me, Eat, Fast, Feast, Heal Your Body While Fe- Feeding Your Soul. It's a Christian guide to fasting. He's assistant research professor in the School of Business and Economics at the Catholic University of America. He's executive editor of The Stream and a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute. Jay, good to have you back here. Thanks.
1: Thanks so much, Al. Thanks for having me.
0: Um. Um, I didn't think you would write a book like this, so tell me why. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Honestly, fasting is uh, something that I've always struggled with. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a convert. My family and I, we became Catholic about 11 years ago, and yep. I was sort of relieved to discover that the fasting that we have is you know, mostly vestigial. I mean, we fast for an hour before mass. We eat a little less on uh, Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, (laughs) and, you know, these sorts of things. So I was was sort of glad because every time I'd ever tried to fast, it had been torturous. But I've always been interested in health and diet and fitness. Mm -hmm. And I kind of stumbled into this, honestly. I had a medical procedure I had to have done some years ago where I couldn't eat for 36 hours. And I had been eating a really low-carb diet at the time. And so I I went to work out at the end of this 36-hour period. And felt incredibly lucid. My mind was clear. My body felt strong and energetic. And so I did, did what anybody did. I Googled, okay, effects of fasting and found that there are all these research articles. In fact, there are hundreds continually streaming about the, the physical benefits of fasting, and it's, you know, in the last couple of years even kind of become a fashionable thing to do, and that's what got me sort of just studying this on my own, yeah. writing articles about it, and realizing, well, one, all the things I thought I knew about fasting were wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. standard American diet is what makes it so difficult, and I we dropped something the Church had been doing for most of its history, and I think to our detriment.
0: Hmm. So let's talk about that then. Uh, how and why uh, are Christians— uh fasting? I mean, what we used to fast, it used to be part of our discipline. Like you say, rarely do we see people um, spend time fasting these days, but uh,
1: why uh, did we used to fast? Well, we used to fast primarily because it was following Jesus' example. I yeah. mean, early Christians all knew Jesus fasted for 40 days in the desert, right before his earthly ministry, and as early as AD 110 in the Didache, it actually commands Christians to fast, every Wednesday and Friday. And that was the pattern for hundreds of years. Christians, basically every Wednesday and Friday was a fasting day. Sunday was a mini feast. And then over a period of centuries, we developed these roughly 40-day fasting seasons before Christmas and Easter. Again, Mm -hmm. patterned after Jesus fasting. That didn't always mean, of course, 40-hour or 40-day water fast, but these were really serious fasts. And most Western Christians, including most Catholics, Um, What we do is just really a diminished vestigial element of what was done for so long.
0: Mm -hmm. What's the difference between uh, uh, fasting and abstaining?
1: Well, the difference, uh, so abstaining just basically means you restrict either the amount of food that you eat or uh, the type of food you eat. And so in a secondary sense, we call that fasting. But the primary meaning of the word has always just meant not eating for some period of time. In fact, it's still in our English language. That's why we call that first. Meal of the day, breakfast. It's breaking Break our the fast. fast.
0: Yeah,
1: and, uh, yeah, and so that's so I'd sort of say, look, let's make sure we retain that primary definition of the word, and then the second definition, more broadly, would be abstaining from certain kinds of food. And let's use other words if we're talking about, you know, rather than saying we're going to fast from Facebook or something, let's just say we're going <laughs> to abstain from it. Okay. <laughs> um, did
0: when we when fasting was common. In in Christian circles, uh, was there anything? Um, I mean, when, was it simply we don't eat or drink?
1: It was all. It was virtually initially, and for a long time, it was essentially don't eat food. And then you know they didn't have blenders, so it didn't occur to them to drink things except for wine. And yeah. So essentially, these were water only fasts. Okay. Never really been dry fast. Mm-hmm. In the Christian tradition, so certainly water. Uh, unlike Muslims during Ramadan, Christians always drink water. But mm-hmm. over time, I would call it the kind of death of a thousand dispensations, in which maybe one one bishop would make exceptions for difficulties, and so you'd get these little so-called collocations, which are basically vegetables you would eat um, after after sundown. And then you know, as things these kind of things happen, you know, a local dispensation tends to get uh, nationalized and internationalized, universalized. Mm-hmm. And, uh, over a period of centuries, the fast, they ended up either sort of arbitrary or, you know, the, the eating fish on Fridays, only eating fish on Fridays, for instance, which you do during Lent. That made sense as a sacrifice at a particular time in history. But, you know, when you can eat cheese pizza and lobster bisque on Fridays, <laughs> the connection of that and sacrifice is not exactly right. obvious. Right,
0: right, right. So did... The reason we quit fasting was the death of a thousand dispensations, as you say. Is that why we we got away from it?
1: It is. It's a de- I'd say a death of a thousand dispensations, the sort of changing historical significance of things. So the fish thing was, in fact, a sacrifice at one point. You know, if you're a shepherd inland somewhere away from water, then it, to be told you can't eat fish basically meant you don't eat any meat or animal flesh on that day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, the first thing. But really, also, I'm convinced that fasting is just much, much harder for us now because of the so-called standard American diet, which is very, very high in sugar very high in refined carbohydrates which turn to sugar almost immediately when they go into our bodies. And then the grazing that we do very often because we're told we're supposed to do it for our health. We eat five, six, seven times a day. That combination of the grazing habit plus a highly sugar-rich diet just actually makes long fasts almost impossible for people. And that's why when they try it, they try it once, feel terrible, don't see how it can bring them closer to God, and they never try it again.
0: Talk to me a little more about this: the standard American diet with the high sugars and high carbs that turn quickly to sugar. Um, why? Why is that
1: a problem? It's a problem because we have our bodies. The way God designed us have two metabolic systems. You could think of it in that way: two pathways. So our bodies can use sugar for fuel really well. But we can also use fat for fuel. The problem is, is that if you've got sugar or sugar uh, becoming foods going in very frequently, so our very high carbohydrate diet, our bodies are going to preferentially choose the sugar. And so that's uh, our body every four hours is going to be basically saying, Look, you got to give me more. I'm starving. Doing this, ironically, over decades and decades actually causes our part of our system that actually can convert uh, fats to something called ketones not to work well and so our body can actually store lots of food energy as fat but then not actually be able to use it really in the period you know previous periods people were so-called metabolically flexible in other words they were eating some of the time and usually it wasn't really high sugar and then they were actually fasting some of the time and when you fast for very long if you go say 36 hours without eating you quickly deplete all the, the sugars that are in your system and your liver starts producing ketones from fat, either your dietary fat or the fat on your body. And when your body's producing ketones, it sort of levels out your blood sugar, it levels out your insulin levels, and you feel a kind of steadiness that you don't feel if you're just relying on the sugar part of your metabolism. And it's really that steadiness, I'm convinced, that made our forebears able to fast for long periods of time and makes it almost impossible for us to be able to do
0: it. So how do you make the transition so that you begin using fat for fuel instead of uh, sugar and carbs?
1: There's basically two known ways to do this. One is really hard and one is not that hard. The The hard way is just not to eat for 36 hours okay. or maybe up to three days. Um, I don't advise that for people that haven't tried it. The other way is to eat a so-called ketogenic diet, which just means really high, most of your calories in the form of natural fats, moderate amount of protein, and very small amounts of carbohydrates in Hmm. fact only from green vegetables if you do that for about three days you're still getting all the foods you need you're getting the nutrients you need but your body uses up the sugar that it has in its system and then it starts producing these ketones and so actually in the book which i've sort of mapped out in a a six-week plan that you can do over lent the first week i just advise people just start by eating ketogenically so that then in the second week when you start narrowing the time window when you you know, when you eat, uh, you're going to experience it completely differently, and it's not nearly as diff- difficult as it would be if you just suddenly decided to do a three-day fast.
0: Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. I, it, we are we even talking here about the health benefits of, of fasting. Um, what about uh, the spiritual benefits?
1: The spiritual benefits, any church father you read will tell you uh, that essentially, if you want to have powerful prayer, you need to be fasting. If you want to engage in successful spiritual warfare, you need to be fasting. Just as feasts bring the body of Christ together, so they were convinced that fasts bring the body of Christ together. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, you know, the, the story most vivid in Scripture is um, is at the end of Daniel, when Daniel is praying un, under the under King Cyrus for, you know, his, his his people, and he's praying really hard, and nothing seems to be working, and so he decides to just fast and eat some vegetables for three weeks, so it's really kind of an intense abstinence. And then at the end of a three-week period, an angel comes to him and says, well, I tried to get here three weeks ago, but it's the demon in charge of the territory right. basically mm-hmm. wouldn't let me wouldn't let me go and so finally after 3 weeks of your intense prayer praying and fasting saint michael the archangel showed up and he freed me and i was able to come to you so i mean it's crazy but this idea that fasting and prayer together uh, could give us this capacity, yeah. you know, this ability yeah. to actually affect things in the in the nether regions, in the heavens. Yeah. It's, a, it's a, a sort of astonishing thing, but this is what all the Church Fathers said, that there's just something about praying and fasting together.
0: Um, do, uh, other, do other world religions uh, link prayer and fasting?
1: They do, and in fact, fasting, especially for Muslims, is a big deal, and so lots of Really faithful Muslims actually fast two day, days a week. I think it's Monday and Thursday following uh, the tradition for Muhammad. But then all Muslims are supposed to fast during the month of Ramadan. And that fast is actually a dry fast. And it just lasts from sunrise to sunset. Um, and, but think about not only not eating, but um, I, you know, not even drinking water, for instance. And so I, the interesting thing is when I was doing the research on this book, there are actually some journals that follow the physical effects of fasting that are written in English in, in Muslim countries. It was very helpful. But they always, of course, connect prayer and fasting. Uh, Buddhists in their own way do this. Hindus in their own way do this. And Jews also do this. So basically every major religion has fasting as a part of its spiritual practice. But it's really in Christianity in some ways that it was the most developed. It's built and structured into the liturgical year. Yeah, and yeah. it was it just, I mean, utterly universal among early Christians.
0: Uh, why do you, why do you think it's it's kind of it sounds as though it's it's kind of it's part of the natural religious impulse that humans have? And I'm just curious why that might be the case. But we have a break coming up. We'll take a break. We'll come back. I'll re-ask that question, and then I'd like you to walk me uh, through uh, the weeks that you've got here and give us an idea of what it's going to be like to go through six weeks. My guest, Jay Richards, eat fast. Feast, Heal Your Body While Feeding Your Soul. It's a Christian Guide to Fasting. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. Jay Richards. He is author, most recently, of Eat, Fast, Feast. Heal Your Body While Feeding Your Soul. A Christian Guide to Fasting. And uh, sometimes I of it, How Science is Validating an Ancient Practice. So we were talking earlier about the medical benefits of of fasting and also the spiritual benefits and before the break uh we were discussing that major world religions do in their own way unite prayer and fasting so uh I, i'm just curious why that seems to be part of kind of mankind's uh,
1: religious impulse any ideas on that well Al, it's funny because the the church fathers said that fasting was not a command for Christians specifically, but for the entire human race. And so when they would look at Scripture, they noticed there was fasting, or at least a kind of abstinence right at the beginning in the Garden of Eden uh, with Adam and Eve. And then you go to the end of the Bible in Revelation— uh, you get a feast, the heavenly wedding feast in which the blessed in, in, are, are feasting uh, with the Lamb of God who's slain from the foundation of the world. So they thought, look, this is this is a universal thing. And so they noticed that the pagan Romans fasted and the Greeks fasted for lots of different reasons. There's a theory about this, and it's, it's basically that the way God designed us was to eat this way, so that we're supposed to eat Some of the time and we're supposed to not eat other parts of the time which makes sense if you think about the hunter-gatherer stage of human history in which people would have a lot to eat you know one week and then maybe they would go a week or two and they wouldn't have anything to eat Mm -hmm. and so we need to be designed this way and so the theory is that well religions in some ways after the agricultural stage religions uh sort of in tune with this human reality structured feasting and fasting into their liturgy as a way of representing and sort of replicating what would have existed at hu- earlier times in human history. And so it's only kind of recently that we have completely fallen off of this because no longer is there any necessity to fast. For one thing, we've got food available 24-7. And so right. that's a kind of, you know, it's somewhat speculative, but I generally think that's right. I honestly have looked at the scientific literature. I think we're actually designed to eat this way and we, we do better and we're healthier actually when we do this rather than grazing constantly like we do now.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're we're a lot fatter today than we were forty years ago, aren't we?
1: We are, and that's been one of the things actually that's led to the their interest in therapeutic fasting. In fact, the doctor that wrote the foreword to the book, Jason Fung, has a major clinic in uh, Toronto in which he's treating and even reversing type two diabetes um, and and obesity with major fasts, like mm-hmm. the doctor supervised seven to fourteen day fast to get things started, and then a kind of permanent fasting lifestyle. That's actually very, very recent. So the massive increases in type 2 diabetes, I and mean, you can track this, and it correlates very directly with the increase in grazing and the increase in the um, just abundance and amount of sugar and uh, foods that immediately become sugar into our diet. They track almost perfectly. Wow. Uh,
0: let's uh, walk, walk us through uh, week one. What should we expect?
1: So week one, essentially, I, I suggest eating a ketogenic diet, which means it, it, it freaks people out. If you're a low-fat person, this is going to panic people. But right. trust me, <laughs> that, this is right. so natural yeah. fats, right? So avocado oil, olive oil, coconut oil. You know, you can eat butter and cream, and just you get a lot of your calories from that. You dr- just cut out all the grains and sugars and things that you normally eat. I'm not saying you do this forever, but you need to do it at the beginning. And then just as much protein as you need, but absolutely no more, because that can also affect insulin. So insulin's the hormone that goes up and down that basically tells your body, uh, you know, what to do with the sugars that are in the system. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by doing this, you really just need to do it for a few days. So if you started it, you know, on Ash Wednesday and you went to, to Easter Sunday, that would be enough time to do this. But if you do this for at least three days, uh, you also need to drink a lot of water and need to increase your salt uh, intake because what happens is the first thing happens when you start eating ketogenically, your body loses a lot of fluid and you can lose some electrolytes. So you bump that up. And this is very similar to what was called the, the induction phase of the, the traditional Atkins diet. It's just very, very low carb and very high fat, moderate protein. Then your body starts getting used to being in ketosis. And once it's doing that, then in the second week, you start narrowing the time window when you eat. So narrow it uh, for the six days, Monday through Saturday, to an eight-hour window. So you eat all your meals in an eight-hour window, which is tough for people that haven't done it, but it's really not that hard because you're eating the same amount. Then in the next week, you narrow it to four hours. Then in the, the next week, you just three of the days of that week, you just eat everything you can eat within a one-hour time window, and then 23 hours of your day are in a fasted state. And the next week, three of those days, you just eat a tiny meal. And then in that final sixth week, which, if you do it during Lent, is going to be during Holy Week, you're now positioned to be able to do a 36 to 72 hour fast, depending on whatever you can handle during the, the, the days of the Triduum, which is, was often what happened. So the idea is that you just it's sort of an easy on ramp. Uh, to be able to do, to be able to actually develop a, a permanent fasting lifestyle, rather than just sort of trying it and dropping it later.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what what then happens in week two? What's uh, what's characteristic of week two?
1: Week two is when you first narrow the time window in which you okay. eat. So that first week, you've gotten your your fat burning system up and running. Week two is, this, is the so called sixteen eight intermittent fast so you know it just means you got 24 hours in the day you're sleeping for part of that and then you the window in which you eat actually really matters and so if you only eat within an eight hour window let's say from noon to eight that's going to mean most of the most of the day your insulin is going to be low and your body's going to kind of continue adapting to this because a lot of what we do a lot of what we experience is hunger is really just our body being a, a habitual. And so if you yeah. eat every four hours, you're going to feel hungry every yeah. four hours. Yeah. So you're really kind of training yourself not to do that essentially.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, again, the sugar is one of those things that is, uh, just keeps craving more. Uh, so eliminating sugars has been very helpful, um, uh, at times for me and gives me more control over my diet. Uh, week three, uh, what are we looking at?
1: So week, yeah, so week three is you narrow it to a four-hour window. And this okay. is where it sort of starts getting serious. And so the, the idea is not that you just eat a tiny amount. You could, in theory, eat all the food you'd normally eat. Uh, but you just do it in a four-hour window. Do that for those six days. And so that's the third week. And then it's not until the fourth week that you do just three of the days. You do a one hour window. So maybe you keep the eight hour window or the four hour window yeah. the other days. But at least three of those days, it's basically one big meal a day all at once. Mm. Do you
0: do you concern yourself with calories?
1: Well you don't really have to. You don't focus on calories and if you continue eating Ketogenically during this time, which makes this much easier and, and more robust, um, it's very unlikely you're going to overeat, especially as you start narrowing the window. It's, it's re- if you eat 3,000 calories a day, that's really hard to do when you get to a, one meal a day. Mm-hmm. That into an hour right. possible. But the point at this right now is not to reduce the amount of food you eat, but to really train your body. Uh, to getting used to not eating at lo- during long periods of time. And so then it's finally in the fifth week that at least three of those days you're going to eat a lot less than you normally would. So basically a fourth of the calories you would normally eat. So it's really not until the fifth week that you have a net reduction uh, in calories over the course of the week. I can say, though, that just this adjustment alone with no change in calories – People generally do lose weight just because of the changing uh, of the metabolism. Yeah. And finally, of course, if you go thirty-six to seventy-two hours without eating, uh, that's zero calories during that time. So that's that's yeah. the real deal.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, in fasting, do, do it, using the, the the practice that you've outlined here, do you does your metabolism increase?
1: Yeah, this is the amazing thing. And so what I thought for years was that if you fasted, that is, if you didn't eat, you would slow down your metabolism because that's what happens if you diet. If you reduce caloric intake for six weeks at a time, you actually slow down your metabolism. That's why almost everyone that tries this ends up gaining the weight back. Fasting is a totally different physiological process. So if you don't eat at all, uh, what your body does is it actually increases the, the energy hormones that it normally uses, so things like norepinephrine, and it increases human growth hormone levels. So, and that's the hormone that preserves your lean muscle mass. So what actually happens in fasting is that your metabolism goes up uh, and your body preserves lean muscle mass. And we know it does that for three straight days. It keeps going up, and then it starts leveling off. But it takes until the fifth day of a fast for your metabolism to get back to where it was on the first day. And so mm-hmm. fasting – and eating and fasting and feasting, that's just a totally different physiological effect than the kind of persistent dieting that we've done for the last half of the 20th century.
0: Interesting, interesting. Now, do you, what about longer fasts?
1: So longer fasts, I it, later in the book, I talk about that. I think that... Um, there are actual uh, probably spiritual benefits that maybe you only get when you get longer fasts. We know there are physical benefits that require these longer fasts. I don't tell anyone they should do a 40 day fast. That right. sounds crazy. And I think the risk of that is um, enough that you'd want to talk to a doctor. Yeah. But if you have enough mm-hmm. extra food energy on your body and you're generally healthy, believe it or not, you can do a 40 day fast and it's not going to, it's not going to hurt you. Um, but I honestly, I think the benefits uh, for most people of doing, You know, a periodic five-day fast, for instance, spread out throughout the year, I think is a lot less risky, and you're getting the same total number of fasts. But I think for most people, look, if we could just get to the stage where we did full fasts on Wednesdays and Fridays, uh, feasted on Sundays, and then did real fasts during Advent and Lent, I think I honestly think it would transform us physically and spiritually and transform the body of Christ. And so for for a select few, they will do long five to two-week long fasts, but... You know, that, that, I think that's for the few, the proud, and the, the, the high endurance. <laughs> yeah.
0: And how, I mean, this sounds fantastic. I'm just wondering, uh, how hard is it to lock into it, though, to make it part of your
1: routine? Well, it's actually, speaking from my own experience, not that hard if okay. you ease into it, because it's uh, just like anything. I mean, we're habitual creatures, and so if you're used to doing this, if you're used to say limiting the window in which you eat on Wednesdays and Fridays, right. you know, really narrow time or to not eating at all, your body gets used to that. Yeah. Your habits get used to that. You find you yeah. have, of course, have a lot more time on that. And yeah. I do think it takes about six weeks for your metabolism to adjust to these things, which happily that's about how long Lent is. And so, yeah, it takes some time to adjust just as it does to any habit. But once it becomes a habit, it's a habit and you're, you're just used to doing it. And so it's really, it's not nearly as daunting, I think, as most, most of us believe just because we've never tried it or never kind of known how to get into it. To yeah.
0: And I th- it's important to keep remembering too, that we were made for this. I mean, uh, the body has a design to it and um, we're operating, uh, you know, I might say the machinery, according to the divine rules, uh, we're going to get better use out of it. Um,
1: what about feasting? Yes, it's feasting, and of course that's the third word in the title. Right. Feasting is a key part of what we call the, the fasting lifestyle. I don't spend as much time on that just because we kind of know how to do that. But <laughs> you know, In all honesty, I really think we lose the meaning of feasts when they're not preceded by fast. Because you know, for most of history, people, in part, in order to have feasts, they didn't have a lot of food available, they would have to cut back on what they're eating in order to have the Christmas goose or whatever it was that they were going to eat. Yeah. And you really do experience it differently. I'm not just saying you're relieved and excited at pumpkin pie or something. You just It's a different experience if you have this kind of liturgical pattern in which you really, really have given up a lot of the food that you want to eat uh, for 40 days plus the six mini-feasts during Lent. And then you hit Easter Sunday um, it's an entirely different thing. And just <laughs> as we know we should celebrate feasts together, I think we really are supposed to, to, to do fasting together. And that's yeah. something that I think we've mostly lost. Our corporate fasts are just these little, you know, these tiny little sacrifices that really don't mean that
0: much. Yeah. Well, Jay, thanks so much. This is a, really exciting. Uh, and I'm uh, interested to, you know, work through the book and uh, see what I can do. Thank you. Thank you, Al. Jay Richards, Eat. Fast Feast. Heal your body while feeding your soul. It's a Christian guide to fasting. How science is validating an ancient practice. This integrates, again, uh, the spiritual tradition with good science.